Hello and welcome to the Overly Animated Podcast, where we take animation seriously. We talk everything animation here, including 1997's Anastasia, which we'll be getting into right now. I am Melanie Moyer, and today I am joined by Beatrice Murad. Hello! And uh, as I said, we are discussing 1997's Anastasia. Woo-woo! Poignant month to be discussing it. Um... As we will get into in a bit, uh, you can find out more about this podcast at OverlyAnimated.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes at OverlyAnimated.com slash iTunes or on YouTube at OverlyAnimated.com slash YouTube. Alrighty. Uh, it's, this is like one of those cult, cultish 90, 90, 90s kids films, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is pretty, pretty great. I own it on Blu-ray because of course I do. Um. My, I guess we're gonna go into like personal histories with it, just because like this was a movie I was so obsessed with when I was a kid. Um, I actually used to like evidently act out the part where Bartok was like talking about how he's gonna beat her up when he's like, "We'll do the hot and the high," and he does that. Like my parents were like, "You wouldn't stop doing that." Um, so yeah, like I played that thing into the ground. Like I watched it every single day. Um, and I'm pretty sure that's where my ultimate studying my concentration in Russian history in college probably came from um was early exposure to that in 1997 um what about you i mean again a 90s kid and just to explain how insane and how music is the universal language of the world besides math um (laughs) (laughs) i like i had this movie on vhs in venezuela this is this is the movie I was obsessed with before I understood English. And it isn't that, oh, they dubbed it. No, 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 no. I had like just the English without English dubbed version. I don't like, know what's happening, but Exactly. But I I loved the music. I loved the story. And like, you know, there it's I mean, here's like my dark side of my teenage life. Like in, as a teenager, my go-to for like fanfic you like Oh. Alternative universes. Alternative universes was one of them used to be a prince or princess or whatever of some whatever thing. Where does that come from? From the story, and I just was fascinated by the history of this and stuff. And it broke my heart when I realized that like this isn't like the actual history. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like Genovia. I realized it wasn't oh. a true country, and I was like, what is going on? Um, but yeah, this was it, it. Was this? It was Mulan. Um, it was, there were just certain specific movies where I was just like this, I would, again, I would play it to the ground. And, um, I think of all of them, the music of this film is probably possibly like the thing that has stayed the most with me. There was a point, like sometimes, like there's moments, like random moments in adulthood or not even adulthood, like. I wouldn't even be thinking about this movie and I'd be like in high school, not even thinking about it, but then I'd suddenly start humming a tune and I'm like, what, where is the song from? And it's, of course it's Anastasia. Yeah. Um, it's just, I don't know. It's there. And it's kind of crazy how I actually funny, quick little anecdote. I remember being in high school in a French class, mind you, um, talking to one of my friends in high school being like, Oh, like we were talking about musicals or whatever. And then one of them was like, 
you know what? Disney should make a musical for Anastasia. Why haven't they done it yet? And we were like, yeah, 100%. The girl emailed Disney straight up. How do you you email? Where do you email Disney? Like, you know, like they emailed, like, I don't know, they went to customer service or whatever and then (laughs) sent an email or like went to Disney Broadway and then the PR, who knows? Like we found an email that probably was going to like, didn't make nowhere. sense. And then they were like, we're emailing Disney. And they're like, we really think you should make Anastasia the musical. Not really realizing the fact that Disney didn't make Anastasia. Like, we were just so... It was because it was well, such a big... Well, they own it now. They own it now. Yeah. yeah, now. But it was such a big film in our lives to to the level of a Disney movie. Yeah. Which isn't something a lot of movies can say. You know, like, especially animated films, because Disney does kind of have this kind of monopoly with animated films, especially in terms of just capturing the minds of children and being like, this is one of those movies you will always remember for the rest of your life, which is kind of scary in terms of power and influence. But that's beside the point. Point is, like, rarely does a movie that comes from an outside, outside this kind of house of mouse landscape how rarely does one capture the attention of the youth in that level in terms of just having a cultural imprint and the fact that this movie did do that um sure maybe not to the level of disney uh, the same level it's more cultish but it's still like i i if i walk to a random woman that's from that was born between like 90 and like 97 and i tell her about anastasia she's like girl i got you i know exactly (laughs) what you're talking about yeah. Well, and it's interesting, too, because, like, people always assumed it was a Disney movie. Like, it yeah. showed up in, like, people would be like, oh, your top ten favorite Disney movies. And then you always had that person who would angrily be like, it's not a Disney movie, which they were right. Yeah. But, um, and, you know, it's got ties to Disney for sure. Don Bluth and Gary Goldman both uh, worked on various Disney films before they did Anastasia uh, over at um, Fox. I think I accidentally put DreamWorks in the outline. I meant Fox. Um, uh, 20th Century Fox. And now, obviously, Disney owns Anastasia because Disney bought Fox. So there you go. She's finally a Disney princess. Um, but I guess for those of you who, who weren't born in the 90s or l- just hate joy and didn't see this movie, <laughs> um, this, uh, this was a 1997 animated film based on the 19... 19- 56 non-animated film obviously of the same name both deal with the uh very popular 20th century urban legend that uh anastasia the youngest daughter of the last uh russian emperor survived the execution of her family um this takes several liberties several liberties um but basically the premise of this um, and to a certain extent, the 1956, there's differences between them, is that there's this amnesiac Russian woman who is conned into pretending to be uh, Anastasia by these two con men who want the um, the reward money for uh, getting her back to her, her family from the Dowager Empress, uh, who is like the closest living member of her family. But it t- turns out that they're amnesiac con victim might actually be the Grand Duchess. <laughs> Why? <Wild laughs> so you, the audience obviously know the entire time that she is. So, um, yeah, it was a wild movie. <laughs> it's very good. <laughs> it was a dark movie. I, was. Like, I just finished watching it before we started this recording and it was, it's 
some of the imagery uh-huh. is quite strong. Yeah, well, yeah, and you think, too, like, who said that this was a good idea? They're like, we're going to make this movie that revolves around the, the axis of it is one of the, like, most horrific revolutions in, like, modern... But they're going to completely erase the revolution yeah. from yeah. it. They're, that's how it they like, maneuver their way. They're like, we're not even going to mention the negatives of what led to this. We're not going to talk about the problematic uh, czar. We're just going to fly past it all. Yeah. Yeah, no, they did. They really... And it's interesting because the thing that they make the villain in this is Rasputin, who's obviously a household name. Um, he's also kind of his own urban legends people talk about you know like satan worshiper yada yada he was a sorcerer he apparently was impossible to kill he's the villain of the first hellboy movie um you know all this stuff so they make him the villain because that's easy right he's a very easy to cast villain in an animated film as a sorcerer and it's i think about it with this book um by I can't remember his name. It's called Ghostland, though. Um, and it's this nonfiction book that this man, who was a man, wrote um, that basically he he went on to all these ghost tours and went into, like, all these places where people had made these stories about ghosts and told, you know, ghost stories and talked about hauntings and basically would talk about the cultural, historical context around them and why people felt the need to invent these ghost stories so like one big one he talks about is the the urban legends about um down in like sort of the plantation areas in the south Mm. um there's one that gets passed around a lot about um a female slave who um attempts to poison her masters but ends up poisoning the children instead and her ghost is said to haunt various plantations. And that's not true. Like, that never happened. But he said, we invented it and we tell it because it's easier to make that the focus and that the villain than... Talking about slavery. Talking about slavery, yeah. So that's kind of what this film does, is it, it focuses on this very easy to digest, like, this this big target of a person that we want to blame. And not talk about, you know, like, how terrible of a ruler Nicholas was. Like, how terrible of a place Russia was at that time. Um, and all this other stuff. So, you know, when you're a kid and you're like, oh, yeah, like, look at him. Even that's terrifying, though, When he, in the very beginning, when he, like, rips, when his skin gets ripped off his body, when he's yeah. first casting his spell. Um, but, yeah, the film opens, basically, in on the 300th anniversary in, like, 1914. Um, 300th anniversary of the Romanov's rule, and... They get attacked by what we would know to be the Bolsheviks, but they get attacked by these angry-looking gentlemen, and Anastasia gets separated from her family because she's going back to get this music box that her grandmother gave her. And this kitchen boy gets her out of the palace by way of, like, a servant's quarters, and she hits her head trying to run for a train, and then it's ten years later in St. Petersburg, and everyone's like, oh, no, she was never found, and that sort of thing. So that's kind of where we pick up. Um... But the whole thing is, yeah, like, the, 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 so they were given a choice, uh, Don Bluth and Gary Goldman, when they were, like, tapped to do a Fox animated film, they were told, you can make an animated version of My Fair Lady, or you can make an animated version of Fox's 1956 film, Anastasia. Interesting. Yeah, for some reason they chose this. (laughs) Well, I mean, in a way, Anastasia is... 
it's they're both kind of very similar in terms of like we got to make a lady out of a woman that's not of you know what I mean. Yeah. Am I thinking of this? That my yeah, lady, that yeah, you know. So it's they're kind of similar. Like they basically wanted a story of let's make a princess out of someone. Yeah. Yeah, and that's like the popular thing in the 90s, right? You had the Disney Renaissance, you had Beauty and the Beast, you had Pocahontas, you had Little Mermaid, you had all these, you know, it was basically the true sort of cultural birth of the Disney princess. So obviously you want to go with, if you can get that story and make it an actual princess, then let's do it. Also, the 90s were a big time for just talking about Anastasia and that whole thing, because A, the Berlin Wall had fallen Mm, at the end of the 80s. B, 1991, they discover the bodies and find that Anastasia's is missing. So, Oh, yeah. So they're like, oh, this is genius. Yeah. And But not only that, but I mean, it kind of, and also just thinking of it from a more creative aspect, I feel like had they done My Fair Lady, it would have been much more restrictive because My Fair Lady, I feel like there is, it's much more standard of like, there's a musical, there's like, a, there's already like a book. Like there was, I feel like they couldn't have been as creative. With the story, with the music, had they done My Fair Lady. Yeah. Yeah, this, like, they kind of had an open, open, I wanted to to combine three metaphors there. I was trying to say an open (laughs) slate, and then I was trying to say an open canvas, a blank. Blank canvas. They had, they had a blank canvas. They did. They had, they had all the freedom to do what they wanted. Also, fun fact about this film, um, you know who ghost wrote some of the script? No longer ghost wrote because it was announced. It was revealed like back during the 20th anniversary of this. It was Carrie Fisher. This is why this is a great <laughs> movie. I was like, when you said ghost wrote, I'm like, if you say Carrie Fisher, I'm yeah. going to cry yep. because, like, th- th- of course, that's why Anastasia actually actually sounds like a person, mm-hmm. and and I just. Oh, that makes so much sense, yeah. and I just must carry so much. You're okay. You're, she's gonna start crying. Um, yeah, so she made some rewrites of the script. Her most, um, uh, the scene that she had mo- the most influence in uh, was the scene uh, leading up to uh, Journey to the Past. Uh, she basically wrote the entire scene where Anya says goodbye to the the, the mean orphanage lady, and then is sitting at the um. The, the literally the crossroads and is deciding which road to go down like i that. mean that's such an important section because yeah. that is your introduction to anya not yeah. to anastasia but to anya to and anya. you it has to set up her tone yeah. who she is like it, whatever oh she's, yeah she's so there genius. you go i made your day um <laughs> but um yeah so that's like a, a good thing to get into then i guess is to start off with this is that a big thing in this film is like just sort of a, a dual identity yeah. Um, and it's interesting because, like, amnesiac storylines are popular, right? Like, people like to do that because there's a lot of, like, tension with that. But it's like, you know, she's lived for 10 years. So she hits her head. She's eight years old. Um, she lives for 10 years. We're going to get into later also how incredibly historically inaccurate just even oh, that. Very was. inaccurate. Um, but she lives for 10 years as an orphan in this, like, Russian orphanage outside of St. Petersburg. Um, she becomes 18. Obviously, she's like an adult now. So they kick her out of the orphanage. And um, Comrade Flemenkov, so named because she coughs, Comrade Flemenkov, <laughs> um, kicks her out. Says so she gets her jo- got her job at the fish factory. Um, go do your Russian duty, Comrade. 
you know, sayonara. Um, Anya gets to the road where she can go to the... F- it literally is a sign, I think, that says Fish Factory this way. Like, it's yeah, not Yeah, and it's in Kingsburg that way. <laughs> yeah, it's like a weirdly, like, poignant sign. But yeah, it says Fish Factory that way, St. Petersburg the other way. And she's trying to figure out which way to go. And she's like, well, I could go there, but also, like, St. Petersburg. Because she knows she was found in St. Petersburg. So she knows she somehow has a tie to St. Petersburg, but she doesn't know what. Um, and she's and got she has this, the necklace. Yeah, she's got the necklace that says um, "Together in Paris" that we know goes with the music box. What music box, by the way, like winds that way? No music. Can box. I just say, I've wanted a music box like that for so long, and every music box I've come across is of a ballerina or something, and I'm like, no, I want that box so bad. Yeah, well, you can you can buy it at the you can buy them now at the the Broadway show. That that's I I I I'd rather spend my money on a lightsaber or something. <laughs> they cost as much as my lightsaber did. So, see, like I'd rather spend it on like a very fancy well, lightsaber. And the reason, well, the reason they are so expensive is because they're all hand painted. Oh, so it's like a yeah. Hoodie. My friend has one. Um, I did not get that when I went to the show. I got I got a hoodie. Um, but yeah. So she's like, "What do I do? What do I do?" And this dog pops up. Um, and basically is like convinced is like oh yeah we're going to St. Petersburg like that's where we're going like let's go in his like chipper dog way um he doesn't speak I know this is an animated movie but he doesn't speak yeah I should clarify he doesn't say anything (laughs) um and then she you know has these great pictures like oh great a dog wants me to go to St. Petersburg um and she's like oh okay like I get it this is a sign and then like one of the greatest songs of all time happens greatest song uh I I have yet to hear I mean I mean, this to me rivals part of your world. Like these yeah. are like the songs that princesses sang when they're about to take on their journey. Yeah, like this is the "I Want" song, um, yeah, essentially. But yeah, so she's been living for ten years as this person. Um, so she is Anya. Like that is, and it's interesting because the, in the film, Meg Ryan, who voices her, is credited as Anastasia. Like that is how the character is credited. But in the Broadway show, she's credited as Anya. And I think the Broadway show actually goes deeper into the idea of playing with, like, identities there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, like, she's, you know, very different from this girl we met at the beginning of um, the movie. She's, like, she's like your typical, like, 90s heroine. You know, like, it's Meg Ryan, so she's, like, very sassy. She's, like, very street smart for the most part. She's, you know, she's scrappy. Um, she's great. Um, like, there's nothing wrong with a '90s heroine. They're yeah. great. No, she's great. It's fantastic. It's it's so iconic. Um, but yeah, she gets to St. Petersburg where she meets Dmitri, um, who we recognize immediately as the boy who got her out of the palace. She doesn't know that because she doesn't remember. He doesn't know that because he doesn't actually think she's Anastasia, and she cons her into pretending to be Anastasia. Um, and they go on their whirlwind adventure chased by uh, Rasputin. Now, the movie that this was based on, the 1956 film, very different, um, stars Ingrid Bergman. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, as Anya. He's, it's called Anna here. Um, and she's called that because the character she's playing or was heavily inspired by was the real-life woman in Anna. Right, right. Um, which we'll get into. But she's Ingrid Bergman plays uh, Anna... And um, there are in the Dimitri characters, this um, Russian general, and then you've got the Vlad character. Vlad being Russia or uh, Dimitri's like buddy. They're like a duel, two two partners in crime, as it were. 
Um, and there's the Vlad character, and then there's the Dowager Empress, and basically they want to get to the $10 million that the Tsar has in his English bank account now that clearly the Tsar is dead. Um, and they want to use, you know, they want to take this amnesiac girl and pass her off as the Grand Duchess in front of the Dowager Empress, who is her grandmother. Um, and in this film, they're not as clear about, um, if she was Anastasia or not. They, like, basically subtly hint throughout the film that she is, but they never definitively say it. Um, and I think that this film, more than anything else, was kind of the influence for, um, the Broadway version of the Mm. animated, um, Anastasia film. Um, But yeah, so I guess one thing I want to get into is we touched on it a little bit already, but like Rasputin is a villain. Um, just because he has one of the, first of all, he has one of the greatest villain songs of all time in The Darker Knight. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but so he's voiced by Christopher Lloyd, who you will know as uh, the Doc from Back to the Future, amongst other things. Uh, Jim oh. Cummings, however, does his singing. Jim Cummings is a, a Disney vet. He does. He appear. He's appeared in in an obnoxious amount of. He's appeared in an obnoxious amount of everything, but he's appeared in an obnoxious amount of Disney stuff as well. Um, I think he's the main voice of. Um, who's that mean mouse in the Mickey Mouse? Mortimer. Was it Mortimer? No, it's not Mortimer. It's the big, big one. He's not a mouse. Yeah, a yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, yeah. He's a, that guy. He voices that guy. Um, but he provides the singing voice. So uh, we mentioned Rasputin. Like, he's an easy target. He's an easy thing to make a villain. In this, his story is based a little bit on fact. I say with an asterisk. Um, so I'm curious where you're yes, going with this. <laughs> yes. So Rasputin is starts out the movie. Um, he like crashes their their awesome party because um, he's mad at the Tsar for essentially firing him. Like so, Rasputin in history. Um, Grigory Rasputin was a monk. I kind of like I don't know what or if he belonged to even an order or he just called himself a monk, but he was like a religious figure who claimed that he could heal um, the Tsarevich's hemophilia, the youngest child and the only son of the the Tsar and his wife um, had hemophilia, which was a common disease amongst the royal family because everyone was marrying everyone in Europe, so they were all passing hemophilia. I mean, the Queen of England is related to the Tsar, who, like, her family was related to the Tsar. She's the grandmother of his wife. She married her, like, yeah, like, everybody's, like, like, she... Married her cousin. Like, and basically everyone of, like, the royal families in Europe are related to Queen Victoria. Prince Philip's everyone. DNA was used to identify the Romanov bodies. Like. <laughs> that way. Again, all, like, you know how all roads lead to Rome? All bloodlines of royalty lead to Queen Victoria. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because one of her granddaughters was um, Zars, the Tsar's wife. Um, but yeah, so she gave everyone hemophilia. The the boy has it because it only affects boys. Um, women carry it, but it only affects boys. It's that kind of disease, um, which isn't great for a country where they have male preference for ruling. Um, so yeah, Rasputin says I can heal him, and apparently he could, like to the extent that, like you know, he was just good at calming the kid down. Um, who knows what actually happened? I wasn't there. 
no one else who's alive today was there. But, you know, supposedly he had some positive effect. The czar and his wife kept him around because they were they were really nervous that they were going to lose their only, like, actual heir. Um, and then people didn't like Rasputin because he was, like, a very scandalous person. He was, like, you know, going to brothels and drinking. Like, he was a really great monk. Um, basically... They dismiss him from court just because it's like he's very unpopular with everyone. And Rasputin was like, okay. Um, and this is this thing that he says to Nicholas after that is like kind of where the movie like like went crazy with like one thing he said. So he basically wrote a letter to Nicholas where he said, if a member of your family is responsible for my death, then you and your family will be dead within two years. He said it as like a prophecy, not as like a threat. So they took that and turned it into Rasputin, who, like, you know, goes up to the czar at this party. He's like, you and your family. And he, like, curses them and stuff. Um, and then walks out. Um, that did happen. Uh, Count Yusufov did, or Prince Yusufov, I guess, did kill Rasputin. And the Romanovs did die within two years. But I think anyone who was paying attention to the newspapers could have told you yeah, that, that was going to happen. <sighs> but whatever. But yeah, they use that as kind of their jumping off point for this character who's this... He sells his soul to, like, these un, unidentified demonic entities in exchange for, like, the power to destroy the Romanovs, quote-unquote. And they kind of say, oh, Rasputin started the revolution. <laughs> that's, that's what it was. Um, mm -hmm. This thing had been brewing in Russia for... Centuries. So long. Yeah, um, but they're like, no, well, magic made people mad. It's yes. not like they're not. They, why would they ever want to overthrow the royal family? Like they just, they, <laughs> of course, they needed magic to influence them to do something so atrocious because yeah. no human would actually want to do that. Like it yeah. was, it's like yeah. wishful thinking, right? Um, yep, it's like Wonder Woman with uh, Ares. Yeah, That's yeah. Exactly. What like it is. Is that exactly it. Um, so Rasputin supposedly dies that night. He, but he he like falls under the ice on the um, the Neva, I think, is the river. Um, but we find out he's not dead because once Anastasia or Anya, like, she comes back to the palace and the reliquary that he used to like cause the revolution. It's weird. Um, comes back to life, and we see, oh, he's in this scary-looking purgatory uh, at the center of the Earth. It's horrific. Um, the entire sequence going down there is really scary, but basically he's like, oh, I can't I can't rest until my curse is finished and the last Romanoff is killed, because she, she's the one that got away. So he decides he's going to stalk this girl across the countries that she's, she's running from Russia to France um, and try and kill her. Now... The most poignant of these, and the thing that I'm still, like, shocked, is the sequence on the boat. So, Rasputin makes these attempts. He tries to blow up their train. He tries, like, all these other stuff. But on the boat, that scene, like, still to this day, I make comments about it where I'm like, wow, like, nobody talks about how dark this entire thing was. Yeah. Because he essentially attempts to get her to commit suicide. <laughs> and in the worst way, because he's tempting her... Through her family. Mm -hmm. You know, like, they're saying, come, join us. As if it's, like, some weird kind of transition to, like, heaven or something. They're like, come, join us, and blah. And it's like, whoa. Because, I mean, 
also, like, there's a lot of religious imagery all throughout, mm-hmm. which is very interesting um, decision. But anyway, so it was just, like, very, like, I remember watching this and being like, there is a reason why my young mind forgot about this scene. <laughs> yeah. Yes, he basically, he puts a dream in her head that she's, like, having a picnic swim with her family. Um, and they enti- they're like, oh, jump, jump into the water. Like, come jump into the water with us. And just before that, she, her little brother is on, is like standing next to her. And he's like, look, I'm going to jump too. And you essentially see him commit suicide. Essentially. Yeah, you're like, oh my God, don't jump. <laughs> yeah, like you see the Not kid you. jump and you're like, this is, there's, he just killed himself. That's like the, the very beginning of the, of the show when he falls. And I was like yeah. the only one who reacted in the theater. <laughs> um. But yeah, no, that's, it's, it's, the part though, like you mentioned the religious imagery is like, okay, yeah, it's like heaven, they're beckoning her down. When she starts to like, that, when she starts to turn away, because Dimitri is trying to grab her to get her to, you know, not jump off the boat, um, you know, and they turn into demons. Yeah. And it's like, also, also interesting, like, you know, heaven, yet they're below her, mm-hmm. right? So obviously there's already something off in terms of like, what's below yeah. Hell. So, and then he turns into a demon and goes like, bring, come down. So, it was, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a great scene. It's beautifully done and terrifying. Like you, you genuinely, it's not like they're romanticizing it or playing like this sort of like, oh, like this is so lighthearted. Like it is, and it is like a very intense scene, but also, wow. <laughs> yeah, no. And it's this thing that you don't clock when you're a kid. You're just like, oh, yeah. wow, that was really scary. But, like, yeah. the adults who made this had to know what they were doing. And me, the adult watching it again, is like, oh, oh my god. Like, that was in a film that I regularly watched when I was a child. A, you know, they tried to get their main character to uh, jump Kill off the boat. Yeah. <laughs> into into the, the ocean. Um, so, like, and that's, like, the rest of the movie, he's, like, a little bit comedic because he has this back and forth with his, like, little bat companion. <sighs> his and, little bat. Yeah. Who I got mean, his own movie. He did. It comes with the Blu-ray now. Of course it does. Uh, <laughs> um, but, yeah, and, like, the ending scene with him is still pretty scary because he, like, lures her into this hedge maze and, like, traps her on the Pont Alexander III. I have no French accent. The bridge, um, ironically named for her great grandfather, but um, it's it's like Rasputin's a scary villain. Like he's he's designed freaky. He tries to get your when he when blowing up the train didn't work. He tried to get her to kill herself. Um, when that didn't then, work, yeah, he decides to kill her with his bare hands. Yeah, he's like, I'm gonna lure her from this party. Nobody else is around, and I'm just gonna straight up smother her. And throw her in the river, and that'll be that. Like, it's horrific. Which, you know, I guess is, like, maybe where a little bit of the the revolution and the real horrors of this story kind of start to bleed in, right? Like, there's really no escaping um, the the very dark essence of, of all of this. Um, even if you dress it up as, like, a Disney sorcerer villain, it's still, like, very, very personal and very brutal. <clears throat> But, yeah, I just, I, he was always, oh, J.K. Simmons was an extra voice in this movie. <laughs> Good for him. That's, who? What would he do? It just says he was, like, additional ensemble. voice. Yeah. Um, Angela Lansbury was the Dowager Empress. That, that makes sense. I was like, I know this voice. I know this voice very well. Yeah. John Cusack was Dimitri. 
He did not provide the singing voice. Neither did Meg Ryan. No, she... That was Liz Calloway, I think. It was. And you know who voiced young Anastasia was Kirsten Dunst. Really? Oh, but the sing... Okay. The singing was not her. It was Lacey Shembert who voiced Eliza Eliza from the Wild Thornberries. And more importantly... um, um, mean Girls. From Mean Girls. Yeah. Fetch. What's her name? Gretchen. Gretchen, Gretchen Weir's from Fetch. <laughs> Fetch. What's from her name? Mean Girls. <laughs> Who says Fetch? Yes. Yes. Lacey Jambert was the singing voice of young Anastasia. Kristen Dunst was the speaking voice. Liz Calloway was the singing voice of adult Anastasia. And Meg Ryan was the voice of adult Anastasia. Like, sure. Wonderful cast. cast. Like, wonderful cast. For this one character, and it's great. Um, but yeah, John Cusick was Dimitri. Um, Jonathan. Daku Schiltz Schiltz? I can't, I don't know Daku Schiltz, I'm saying his name so wrong um, voice Dimitri um, or did Dimitri singing voice rather, Kelsey Grammer did the singing and speaking voice for Vlad uh, we mentioned Gregory, or Gregory Gregory Spoon. we mentioned Christopher Lloyd and Jim Cummings, Hank Azaria was Bartok if that tells you anything about um, that bat right there Bernadette Peters was Sophie Mm. nice. Yeah. Which you can kind of get, I guess, if you think about it. Um, but yeah, so these are all the the, the voices. Uh, the music. So you, you mentioned this a little bit. This is kind of like what the big allure of the movie is, I feel like. Um, so let's discuss the music. <laughs> so... It's, it's just so good. It is. And it, I, I think... I don't think anyone expected it to be as good as it was. No. Um, it was done by um, Slynn uh, Aarons and Stephen Flattery, um, who combined have worked on various things that include, they did, not they, like they respect, like Lynn Aarons did Ragtime, she did Once on this Island, um, she did Seussical, um, she did uh, The Glorious Ones, Stephen Flattery, um, was involved in Seussical as well and Ragtime. Like, they just, they're like, before this, they were like very, like, those are shows, like Ragtime and Seussical, like, those shows are very much like Broadway, like, state, like Drama Club. You, you know, you've done those shows. Mm. You've been in those shows. They're kind of staples and stuff. That being said, I don't think any of the music that they've done up into this, although Once on this Island is very good, I don't think any of the music they've done up into this point was like, as like potent as what they did for this movie. Um, I'm sure that, you know, earned the ire of a lot of, like, traditionalists on the Broadway subreddit. But, um, <laughs> like, Rumor in St. Petersburg, I just reblogged something on Tumblr the other day, actually, that was, like, this, it was, like, a seagull freaking out singing <laughs> Rumor in St. Petersburg. Because <laughs> you always had your part where you were, like, you're sing- you're that one peasant. You're, like, no, this is my line when the one peasant is, like, come right. on, what do you suppose? And, like, stuff like that. Um yeah, it's a great opening number um, that, you know, really casts an interesting light on the sort of dregs of, as it was called, Leningrad at that time. Um, All right. Um, hot take. This is better than the opening of Beating the Beast. The bonjour. Oh, bonjour. Yeah. No, I, I, it's totally. Yeah. No, and it's, it's, totally it's a similar thing, right? Like it takes a similar, right. a similar approach to it. I think it, yeah, no, I do think it does better than, than the opening of Beating the Beast. Um and yeah, I love singing Rumor in St. Petersburg. That was my caption on my picture when I went to the, the show. Um, but the big song, as we mentioned, Journey to the Past, 
is uh, one of two huge songs. And this one, I probably, this is probably the more famous one, um, just because it was kind of the anthem song of um, the movie. It was their credit song and stuff. But basically, it's a, it's her I Want song. It's the song she's, you know, she sings on her way to St. Petersburg, where she's like, you know, I'll maybe I'll find my family and everything will be great. And it's just a great song. Um, and a lot of people have actually, like, kind of, talked about it culturally now in terms of like how big it was and how big it continued to be as a predecessor to let it go mm, really yeah yeah there's really there's... not like okay well but because i always assume that the often the connection i see with people is uh at least in terms of a like disney discography they always compare part of your world maybe mm-hmm. to let it go not necessarily journey to the past well so the reason the, the the point that it was entertainment weekly that had like a an opinion piece about this the the big point that they were making was like because you could hear the beginning notes of journey to the past mm. and know immediately what song it was the same way like yeah. you hear the beginning of let it go and you're like oh here yeah. it goes um and basically, yeah. like, retrospectively, the New York Times called Journey to the Past the Let It Go of the 90s. Yeah. I mean, like, it makes sense. I mean, uh, again, part of your world is 89, so it could still be of the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. That was of the 80s. Um, but they were like, yeah, like, retrospectively, people have looked at Journey to the Past and they were like, yes, like, this is the one way we can describe how, like potent this song is is like let it go like it it was let it go for for the 90s maybe maybe it's because we were kids when this came out but was like were parents and adults annoyed by journey to the past like they were let it go according to new york times it was it was was, yeah it was like very much like an they called it a quote-unquote earworm song because you hear it and you're just like oh it's in my head now and it was (laughs) um they were also something interesting New York Times pointed out about this song was that it was a big well not was I think it still is I don't know exactly what time period they were making this claim for but they they said it was a a quote unquote much loved anthem to immigrant audiences that makes that makes all the sense in the world now <laughs> as an immigrant like say, can you suddenly, shed can you shed some light on that <laughs> suddenly <laughs> my all, life is kind of falling into place now. It all makes I'm sense. like, no wonder. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's 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 a big, it's a really big song, and it was a really big song, and it still is. And it's funny because you know when I went to go see the Broadway show, and we'll talk a little bit about how they restructure this to make it palatable for the stage, but um, they do it as the oh, Act One closer, and um. You know, like it starts, right? Like they're like, do, 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 you know, it starts and everyone, you can just hear it. Everyone's like, oh yeah, like this is it, guys. Like everyone get ready. Um, you know, and they do it and everyone cheers. And I was like in line for the bathroom and this, like, we're not talking because we're pissed that we're in line for the bathroom. And this woman just starts like humming in line for the bathroom. And I was like, yes, correct. I'm going to go back to my seat now. Um, so yeah, this song is like ridiculous. Like I, I never change it if it comes on. Like if it's on, it's staying on. Um, and you know, it's very uplifting and great. And it's kind of the, the tune for the rest of the movie. Um, they do use the once upon a December, they do use the lullaby or the, the The reprise of it, I guess. Yeah. Whatever. The music box is what it's called. Yeah. They use that a lot, but during the past is like the, the emotional heart of this movie. Um, yeah. But going into once upon a December, this is like the haunting, like, 
I don't even, I don't, it's just so like, you compare that to Let It Go. I don't know what I'd compare this to. This would be, okay, Once Upon a December would be, in a way, it would be kind of like the, for the first time in forever, like duet reprise thing, mm. kind of, in terms of the hauntedness, in terms of like, you have two people singing it, and then both, like, in like in terms of like, they're, kind of, if you put like, okay, kind of, it's the first time of, in forever, the first time. In forever, I think is the name for, of it. Uh, for yeah, the first time like and forever, yeah. whatever. For the first time, I guess. Well, it's like you have the grandmother singing it, and then you have her singing it, and then you have her singing a full version, and you have them at the end coming together to sing it again. I don't know. I just there is a hauntingness to it that that just fits this movie so well because it is dark, and there's just this kind of. And again, because of the historical baggage yeah. that the story deals with, there is this, this shadow that is just constantly present throughout this movie, especially for people who are aware of the context and everything that happened in this story in reality. So there is this kind of constant shadow, this tension. And it, it only, it, of course, like the only thing that would fit is to also have a song, not just Journey to the Past, but also a song that captures that kind of tragedy that kind of angst of everything's happening and that's and that's once in, once upon yeah. december yeah and it's is. brilliant that it's once upon a time it's like you know it's like oh that's like the fairy tale opening and it's like no this is in december no it's in the middle off. of winter yeah 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 there, there's definitely a darkness to it and it kind of recalls just the the idea of like the legend too and like the the mystery that everyone created around this thing um but the sequence that the song takes place in is probably one of the greatest sequence in an animated yeah. film, I'm just going to say. <laughs> I mean, it is stunning. Yeah. Um, I used to, that was another thing. My parents were like, you just used to replay that and replay that and replay that. So basically the context is that Anya goes to one of the palaces. I can't remember if it's the Catherine Palace or the Peterhof Palace, but she goes to one of the palaces in St. Petersburg, breaks in, first of all. Um, but you know, it's, it's communist Russia. Everything belongs to everyone. Um, so she breaks in, um, and she's like, oh, I've been in here before. This is familiar to me. And she starts singing a version of the lullaby from the music box. Um, but it's, you know, these haunting words about wanting to remember. And there's something about this in my past and yada, yada. And then when we get to like the big, the bass drop, as I'll call it, of this song. <laughs> yeah, like the, these ghosts just burst out of the paintings. And there's oh. haunting. They're like, oh, like it's all operatic at one point. Yeah, like there's these operatic singing ensemble ghosts that burst out of the painting. They're all dancing like it's, it's meant to be like this, you know, these, these ghosts of Russia's imperial past. And then her family comes out. Of their own painting. They've got a painting. And her family comes out. Her, her her sisters and her brother and her mom and dad come out. And they walk up to her. And she dances with her dad. And it's so sad. And she dances with her sisters. And it's all just so so gut-wrenching. Um, and then the second the song's over. Like when Dimitri goes, hey. And it just vanishes. I'm into snap weed. It just vanishes. Um, you know, like. And, and goes back into this this cobweb-covered palace. Like, the entire thing is just, like, ridiculously beautiful. Yeah, I mean, and again, the imagery, there's so much meaning in it in terms, I mean, there's a, to, just to keep on adding to this kind of haunting tune of the song, it's, it's you know, it's the not it's not just, like, this kind of myth, this legend. It's, it's 
this dark, one of the bloodiest moments. It's regicide. Yeah. You know? And it's all these people, all these ghosts of her past, but there is this kind of, in a way, it's kind of like a warning that the movie never really dives into because it's not that type of movie. But it never really deal, it never really kind of sinks in of, oh, right, this, all these people, all the, like, there is this darkness of what happened to her family and, and to all these people who just, who were straight up murdered and executed in a, in the bloodiest of ways. And it's just the, I, the image of like having it be ghosts. Like it's, I don't know. It's just, there is, it's one of those, I mean, yes, Journey to the Bass may be the heart and soul of the movie in terms of just it, of the movie. But Once Upon December and this sequence that is paired with it is kind of the, in terms, in the movie, this is the, es- this is the essence of the Anastasia story, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Of yeah. just, in, in general, of like the history and story. Like, there's a moment that kind of deals with the, kind of tries to engage with the history and tries to balance it out with the animation. It is this sequence. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's just the whole thing is is very incredible. Um, yeah, we talked about it in the Dark of the Night. Great villain song, ridiculous. There's bugs that are his like backup singers. It's crazy. Um, the only other like big songs after that, the songs kind of like go downhill. There's always like that big peak, and then everything else is kind of chill. Although Paris holds the key to your heart is fun because there's a lot of cameos of people who were not in Paris at the same time. <laughs> but were famous for having lived in Paris, like Gertrude Stein is there, um, uh, um, Freud, Coco Chanel. It's really funny, um, and you can like you start to pick them out, so that's kind of fun. Um, but the credit song at the beginning is like another one of those like '90s kids anthems. I feel like um, it was performed by Donna Lewis and Richard Marks, and it was meant to be the, oh, yeah. the credits duet. Um, and it's funny because it's like the way they do the credits of this song. It's like an it's like a, a like an AMV, like they like they like yeah. invented the AMV. AMV, yeah. <laughs> because they they before they start the credits, it's like a solid thirty seconds of just shots of the movie set to this song. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funky, um, but that's a great that's a that's a good one too. And um, the current Anya and Dimitri on Broadway actually recorded a studio. They did. See, that was something that was disappointing that they didn't do in the movie. I was like, I guess obviously, like musically, it doesn't make sense and it's off, like Mm -hmm. musically. But also, like they should have put it in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, now you have a a studio version with. Oh my god, I'm looking it up. (laughs) Yeah, it's on YouTube. Um, but yeah, so the music is incredible. Like even the the David Newman's score um, is incredible as well. It ranges from haunting and like hor- it's very choral. It's kind of reminds me at times of um, Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yes, with a lot of choral voices chanting and that sort of thing. But then you've also got kind of this light, you know, like oh, gay Perry and like stuff like that going on. Um, because that's kind of the juxtaposition that the Broadway show plays with. Um where they like set half the film in dreary or half the show in dreary St. Petersburg and the other half in like lush, bright Paris. Um, So the historical accuracy of this film. Oh, we're going to go there. Is is not (laughs) super present. (laughs) I I don't, I don't know where to start with this. Um, 
it, I mean, it's just, it's not, it's just, they it's decided, you know, look, look, I appreciate, because I hate when people try to do, like, okay, let's try to be historically accurate for some things, but for some other things, let's not. It's like, no, either run with the fiction or stick to the script. And they decided to run with the fantasy, and I just commend them for that. Well, we're committed. (laughs) Exactly. I'm like, all right, good on you. Like, we know it's fiction, great. But I think, in a way, this story allows for that. Because... Obviously, they like we don't know 100% for certain. Like, well, now we do. Now we, I think we're pretty sure we know. Now yeah. we know, like, no, because wasn't there like, um, yeah. recently there was like news that they had found her body and like, yeah. the DNA and, of and her I, and her sister yeah, or something? I will, I will get into part of the debate still going around. Okay. All right. Well, we 95% sure. Yeah, more than number? that. We're pretty, okay. we're like 99, 99.999% sure that like, she she did perish with her family that night but you know even at that time like there is this kind of but but think but think in the mindset of the 90s when we didn't know like there is this kind of like she met maybe not maybe so and it's like kind of leaning into that kind of gray gray era of not really knowing the truth um Oh my God! Just it came to me. This is a great <laughs> this 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 movie. It, there is a link that should be there is there is a a reading of this movie in relation to now and fake news and all that stuff. Oh, there God. is a link that to be made there, um, and like what we do with truth and how we handle truth is what I mean. Not in terms of like no, yeah, no, I got you. That's that's that's, it, that's it, a it, reading it, for sure. Yeah, you know, like there, like how do we deal with something that we can't one hundred percent confirm? Something that's kind of lost in history, and how do we ourselves? How do we let our minds kind of run off with fantasy to fill in these gaps to fill to try and actually find an answer when there's a million people telling us what happened? I like um, got to witness your epiphany about this. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad too. See, guys, I can come up with the occasional smart idea um, nice. but um but yeah so in a way it works with this movie like if had it been any other historical moment that that i don't know that we know for fact happened then short taking some historical inaccuracies wouldn't have worked but because of because of this because it ha- did have that kind of grayness it allowed for it now do I still think that they should have been a little bit more historically accurate in terms of like, because personally, personally, I mean, yeah, he had a great song, but I think Rasputin was the weakest part of this movie. I think the villain, like all the mystical stuff was the, wasn't interesting. I was interested in, in her, in, in everything but him. I was like all game for. Um, so would I have preferred her, like the villain or whoever have been something else, something different? Sure. And but at the same time, like I can't blame the movie for historical inaccuracies because that's the whole point of this story is not knowing what happened. Yeah. Yes. I yeah, all of that. that was a lot, sorry. Yeah, no, like yeah. I, all those points I'm with you, right? Um and they knew that they had to, you know, like they're making a fairy tale, so it has to be a fairy tale. So they had to they didn't set out and say we're gonna change this, they just had to mold things to fit the story that they were telling. Right. Which is why, rather than saying that this is based on, and even the Broadway show doesn't say that it's based on the life of Anastasia or anything like that, it says it's based on the legend. Um, there's a plaque outside the theater that says, 
you know, uh, adapting a legend and that sort of thing. And that this is about that, um, not so much the actual events. Now, some, you know, quick um, spark notes on what was, the timing is wrong. Anastasia would have been 28 instead of 18, um, historically, because she was 18 when she died. Um, they kind of conflate a couple things at once because there was more than one revolution in Russia. Um, and the first one, um, I forget which one it is. The February revolution basically took place right after world war one and it established the Duma, which was basically their version of a sort of, uh, con congressional body. Um, and they're conflating that with the second revolution, which is the one that actually ended up overthrowing everything and killing the czar um yeah. but one that one happened in like july yeah something well they which were is, killed in july yeah but even then like i think it, the movie made it seem like this all happened in one night yeah whereas so yeah it, they were actually held hostage for like six months or something or like for three months yeah there was like a lot there was a story where like i think the um the king of England could have gotten them out or something mm -hmm. at one point, yeah. but then they didn't, and then so, they happened. It was yeah, insane. so this is what happens is Romanov's turn 300, revolution, we go another four years, it's uneasy. Second revolution happens, Not doesn't end so great. So at this point, they're older, um, you know, Anastasia's obviously not a child anymore. Um, so... They are put under house arrest in their own palace. They live there for a little bit. Um, and it's actually not that terrible of a time. The guards are pretty nice. Um, but then they are told they're being shipped off to Siberia. Because um, originally they were trying to just exile them. They were like, yeah, just get out of Russia. Like They were going to send them to King George, who is the cousin of the Tsar. Um, and if you look at pictures, they look ridiculously alike. It was kind of like a family so joke. Alike. That they like, there was one day where they actually there's a picture of them where they switch clothes, like they like did it as like a thing, like they're wearing each other's like royal regalia and it's hysterical. Um, but he doesn't take them, um, because he's he's afraid of what it's going to be for his country, what it's going to cause. We just got out of World War One, um, so and, they, and not just that, but also they were giving him a lot of flack because his family comes like is more Germanic, so some there was also like tension in in the UK of is, are they actually the, are they like, should we listen to this King that may not be ethnically English in yeah. a way? So yeah. there was also that happening. Yeah. So there's a lot of political reasons and social reasons. He just couldn't, couldn't do it. So he denies them asylum, um, unable to get them out of the country and put them somewhere. They decide to ship them off to Siberia with much less nice caretakers out in the Ural Soviet. Um, and basically for over a year, they're just carted around under house arrest in different places, um, just kind of existing while the government is trying to form itself back in St. Petersburg and Moscow and trying to figure out what to do with them. Um, ultimately they end up at this house in Yekaterinburg, the Epitaph house, um, where it's July. It's July 1918, 100 years ago, almost to the day that this podcast is recorded. Um, it was last Tuesday, I think, was the actual, like, day anniversary. They're at the house. Um, the White Army, the Russian White Army, is getting close. It's making the Soviets nervous. Lenin just says, do it. Um, 
then this whole thing is like a, a I don't I don't even want to call it a comedy of errors because it's obviously not funny, but that's kind of this whole thing was like a mess. Basically, because they're like, all right, we don't know which ones to kill. Like, do we just kill the czar and let his kids and his wife go? Do we kill the czar and his wife? Well, we have to kill the boy because he's the heir. But do we let the bo- the youngest daughter go because she's technically still a child? Like, would they? They were. They were, and they're like, all right, no, we're just going to kill them all. So, um, they wake them up in the middle of the night, take them down to the basement, and say, "We're moving you." Because the fighting's getting too close, we're gonna take a picture before you leave. And they set everyone up. Oh my god! Um, and they, the czar, sits. He asks for a chair. Um, and they kind of like make fun of him, but they bring in a chair. Alexei sits on his on his knee. His family stands behind him, and instead of a camera, in walks a firing squad and just, without much fanfare, just goes about um their task. Um. The girls had sewn jewels into their clothes to avoid thieves. The result of having, you know, a, a sheet of diamonds in your clothing is that it was essentially a bulletproof vest. Um, so they weren't being affected by the gunfire. They found um, different ways to, to go about that. Eventually, they all were executed. Um, now, the importance of the jewelry is that that's part of the where part of this story starts is because the girls did not immediately were not did not immediately pass away. Um, as a result, like they it took several hours, and the the bodies were left alone. So that's where this starts is that there was a period there was a window where this could have happened. Um, the second thing that happens is the Soviet government never formally acknowledges that this happened because they can't because they just got out of war with Germany. They just killed the a a, a German princess. Germany is asking. They say they they sent them a telegram said give us um, all the princesses of German blood, meaning Alexandra and her daughters. They're already deceased, so they're like mm. crap. Like, we can't do it. We just got, we just signed a peace treaty. So they never formally acknowledge that this happened, that they did this. They're just hoping people will forget about the Romanovs, that they, you know, went off to Siberia. And that'll be that. That backfires on them spectacularly because people filled in the gaps themselves. They were like, oh my God, like I saw them. I saw them on a train. They were asking about an Anastasia Romanov, yada, yada. Like all these rumors, literally rumor in St. Petersburg, all these rumors are flying. In Berlin... A couple years later, it's like 1921, a woman is taken into an asylum after she uh, jumps off a bridge into a canal and is like fished out by the police and taken to an asylum. She doesn't give her name um, or anything like that. She refuses to speak. So they just take the driver in the asylum. That's that. And a fellow patient looks at her and says that's the grand duchess tatiana like that's the grand duchess tatiana who is the second oldest um of the czar's daughters the woman denies being tatiana she says i'm not tatiana i'm not i'm I'm not that grand duchess instead she claims that she's anastasia she doesn't look like her people thought she did i don't see it (laughs) i've seen pictures of her but this this blows up like this becomes the thing that people attach to 
um, is everyone's like, oh, they found Anastasia in Berlin. Like, her family comes to see her to see if it's her. Like, people are saying, yes, it's her. There were two court cases in Berlin where she was trying to legally prove that she was Anastasia. And they were like, well, you couldn't prove it, but your detractors also couldn't prove that you're not. So that's our ruling, is that. Which, you know, okay. Court cases in Berlin. Um, you know, it goes, it goes on. Um, she ultimately, you know, dies having never been like formally recognized as Anastasia. Now, the thing here about this and this is why this caught so much attention is because, you know, we're in post World War One Europe and people want the fairy tale. Like people want to believe that this is possible, that this happened, that somebody survived this. And look, it's a lost princess. Like this is literally like something out of a fairy tale. So people attach to that, you know, because that's safer than acknowledging what actually happened. Um, but she eventually moves to America, um, passes away, is buried under the name Anastasia. But um, post-mortem DNA analysis says that she is, I cannot say her name, Franziska something like that. I don't I she was a Polish factory worker basically who ran away oh, wow. around the time that um this woman was plucked out of um a canal in Berlin. She's not the only woman to claim to be Anastasia. She was the first though and she was the most famous and she's the one who most stories are based on including this one. Um we get to so 1989 Berlin Wall comes down Eastern Bloc disbanded they can actually start looking and talking about, you know, the bodies, right? The Romanovs. Um, and, you know, where they were buried was a common site where, like, Stalin buried a lot of his his um, political victims. So it was a little bit of a minefield to go through. 1991, they find the bodies. Um, all except two. Uh, Alexei and Anastasia's body are missing. Now... The archaeologists who found this knew, expected that because according to the journals written by the dudes involved in the execution, they purposefully took two of the bodies and buried them somewhere else to prevent them from being identified because they thought it would make people, you know, if they found two parents and this many kids exactly, they'd know exactly who they were. So they separated the bodies to make them harder to identify. So they knew that they were out there. They just didn't know where they were. The public doesn't know this, though. So they're like... Oh my god, like it's, it's true. It's wild. You know, they're losing their minds in the 90s over this. It's insane. Um, doesn't they it takes them like almost 20 years to find the other two bodies and what they find are partial remains. They they found very small fragments of of remains. So they haven't found body bodies, but they find these, they test them. They match to the other bodies they found. So these are family members of the people who were the other ones. They say, okay, great, we've reunited them. It's terrible. She died. They all died. But we've reunited this family. However, there's debate about the... Of course there is. Yeah, once we have is. a fantasy, like once we have a myth, a legend, an, an idea... We are not going to let it go yeah. easily. <laughs> yeah, people are not letting it go easily. The Russian church refuses to acknowledge that these are her actual remains, that they are really, Alexis. why? Um, they just, they, they don't, like, there's something about the way that they were found and, like, tested that the Russian Orthodox Church refuses to, part of the reason they do this is because the Romanovs, the, the, the imperial family, were canonized. 
So they mm-hmm. have a very strict way about identifying holy relics of gotcha. the remains of saints. So they refuse to acknowledge that these are her remains or Alexei's remains. Um, the, the DNA is still being tested as of 2017, February 2017. So a little over a year ago, it was, which is over 10 years or just about 10 years after it was initially found. They're still testing it in various independent labs because people just won't. Won't let, let it go. It go. <laughs> yeah. People won't let it go. Um, they won't let go of their journey to the past. Boom! There you go. Boom. Um, so this movie's film... This movie's film... This movie's place... This film's place in 20th Century Fox's canon of animated films. So the thing that annoys me is after this movie, 20th Century Fox keeps making the same male character over and over again. Have you noticed that? I mean, what what other? I'm not as familiar with the 20th Century Fox canon. So like what a, what what other? What is the what is the other movie I am thinking of? There's a movie they made shortly after this that was a sci-fi film that featured a character that was basically a blonde version of Dimitri. Um, I'm trying to remember what it was called. Because I feel like Dimitri is the prototype not and this isn't like an intentional thing but i do think he is the prototype for flynn in tangled yeah listen dimitri was everyone's first titan a that's what it was uh dimitri was everyone's first animation gross <laughs> and it says a lot about me that i didn't want to be anastasia i wanted to be dimitri i know right <laughs> i was like yeah no that's the guy i want to be also let's, also like we need to we need to what we need to talk about one thing that we kind of brushed past when involving Dimitri. Mm-hmm. This is possibly the greatest animated kiss oh, of yeah. all animated kisses. They go into it. Like it's, like it's a- the, it's everything. It's like from the spinning around to like the they're the open mouth open, and everything. Like the frame moving with them. Like it is. I wouldn't be surprised if they just got two actors told them kiss and then they just kind of did like a periscope kind of thing where they were just like we gotta yeah. trace these but it is there I, I have yet to find another kiss that has been as kind of swoon worthy as breathtaking in a way um even in some live action movies haven't matched up to it like some I, i'm like this is this is a proper kiss yeah no it is it really ruins uh all other animated kisses for you um, and if anyone is not familiar with Anastasia and they're still listening to this podcast, um, you can thank this movie for that amazing Korosami. Oh yeah, the Korosami is the just Korosami gift. Yeah, like that is based on this kiss. Yeah, it's it's, it's that good exa- of a kiss. It's that kiss exactly, actually. Yeah, they like basically like copied it just to for funsies. Yeah, for funsies. Um, but Titan A was the film I was thinking of. It came out three years after Anastasia. It's like this really dark really scary actually even um animated animated film like set in like uh the year like uh 30 something like 30 20 something um and basically it's a deep space film and they've got like dna of all of planet earth and they're going to use it to seed a new planet and there's this character, Kale Tucker, who looks exact. Look him up. He looks exactly like Dimitri. He's like the same animation. He was voiced by Matt Damon. Um, and that kind of bugged me because they just, they, they did, like, it was like, come on, you can come up with 
more than one male hero. Um, but Anastasia Bartok the Magnificent, which is the spinoff. Oh, and, wow. And I remember him. Oh, are you, did you right. Google him? Yeah, yeah, I just Googled him. You're <laughs> right. It is Dimitri. Yeah, it's basically Dimitri. Um, that and uh, Titan AE are the only three films under Fox Animation Studios. After that, they moved to Blue Sky. Um, well, Fox bought Blue Sky, so um, basically everything they did after that was Blue Sky, so that's Ice Age. Um Rio, um, Epic, which was actually a pretty good movie, um, Ferdinand, various others, they are also affiliated with, um, The Book of Life, um, and a couple others, so they, they've got their, their fingers in many pies, but, yeah, this, um, this was kind of the big film for Fox Animation, because after that it, I don't think anything really compared to this, and yeah, you know, Titan A stole Dimitri's uh, rigging, basically. Did they have rigs back then in 2D animation? I don't think they did. I think it was just... They just were like, it was we cells. want that. Yeah, they're like, we're just gonna redraw that. Um, but yeah, Fern Gully is somehow also associated with 20th Century Fox. I don't know. Um, oh, I think they distributed it. They didn't They didn't produce it, but they distributed it. Fern Gully's great. It's, it, it's, it, it was Avatar before Avatar. <laughs> word for word. Um, but yeah, 20th Century Fox doesn't, didn't do too much great big animation after that. Um, I mean, Ice Age was pretty good, I guess, but that has since turned into Shrek where it's like, all right, we get it. (laughs) Oh, Shrek. But yeah. Um, the, the only other thing is, is like, so now it's a Broadway show. We've both seen it. So I feel like we should briefly gloss over it. Um. It's interesting because I think about it in terms of, like, the only other thing I can think of with animated films becoming Broadway shows is Disney, which literally just plucks its movies and puts them on stage. This made a lot of changes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I appreciate the changes. Mm -hmm. I do because this actually attempts to fix the historical inaccuracies. And, you know, we... Early on in the podcast, we talked about duality and and identity, dual identity rather. And um, you know, the thing in the movie is that you know all her family members are gone. Like there is no one to hold her accountable. And so, like, who was she before, and who is she now, and how do you merge the two? Like, it, they don't deal with that. Mm-hmm. Versus in the in the musical, they do in the Broadway show, and and part of it is because they're actually talking about what happened in history and they're actually remembering the past. It's not so much, you know, it's not glossed over. It's not something that is not met. That is kind of missing because that is what in the movie, there is this kind of emptiness there that is sucked up by, by Rasputin. Um, but in the play, like they were like, no, we're not going to do that. We're actually going to engage with, with this. We're going to deal with this the best way we know how. Adding to this, like, hypothetical, like, link between Anastasia and fake news, um, <laughs> this is, like, the Anastasia Broadway show is the response to, like, this is the post-fake news world response to Anastasia. Interesting. Yeah, no, actually, that that tracks really well, because um, instead of Rasputin, they have this character, Gleb, who's the villain, who is a Soviet official. I don't know. They say what he is. He's, like, some important person. 
um, who basically is tasked with assassinating her when the Russian government finds out that she survived. But he has this great conversation. I don't even want to say it's a great conversation with her because he's pointing a gun in her face. But <laughs> the what they talk about is very um, poignant because he basically chases her across Europe. Um, and when he finally corners her and he says, if you really are Anastasia, do you think history wants you to have lived? Um, and it's like just this great sort of commentary on like the fairy tale that we still tell ourselves about this. Because her immediate response is like, yes, why don't, you know, why, why wouldn't you? But it's like this musical brings out also like, what are the consequences of that? Like if she is Anastasia, then she's, her family's dead. She lives through something horrific. You know, she's got PTSD that pops up constantly throughout the show. Like, you know, what are the consequences if that's true? You know, there is the fairy tale and it's nice. But, you know, when you bring out the actual things that happen and acknowledge the history, like, what does that mean? If it's true, um, yeah. which I just thought was really it was it's interesting because it's like it's it's subtle and it's nice. And usually, you know, in something like this, it wouldn't play as well as it does. Um so I thought that was the strongest decision they made was to um, make this villain who was based on like their original idea for a villain in the animated movie. They originally weren't going to do Rasputin. They were considering um, a, a like St. Petersburg official, like some sort of St. Petersburg official authoritarian figure who had a grudge against um, the Romanovs, but they ended up not doing it. So it kind of got, new life here um yeah and i will say like his like he is possibly the most interesting character of the show mm-hmm. in a way because he's the one who's dealing with the political versus you know like and it, it, it's interesting in a way they kind of split dimitri into two characters mm-hmm. in a way yeah. and then you know they kind of split him and then one deals with I don't know it's just, it's a very interesting what they did, um, and some people may not be fans of that because it's not 100 percent faithful to the movie, but um, like it, from, it, on a intellectual level I appreciate what they did. I just wish that the music that isn't part of the movie would w- like the new music would have been better. And yeah. maybe even revamp some of the music in the movie that does find it find it a little bit. They do they did find la- lacking a little bit, mm-hmm. but because it is a musical, you know, so that is definitely like an aspect of the movie. That, I mean, of the show that we can't ignore. But um, but yeah, it's interesting. Like I wasn't like Dimitri is so swoon worthy in the movie, but then in the show, I was like, I don't, I don't care about. It. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I don't care about you, Dimitri. It's like oh, your your backstory. Yeah. Thing I didn't ask for. Um, yeah, it's interesting what you say because they basically split Dimitri into two characters, which they kind of did because it's like the entire movie, Dimitri's kind of, or the entire show, Dimitri's kind of a jerk. And this guy almost takes like, or he tries to take the spot of a romantic lead because he's like, like his thing. It's kind of a love triangle, but it's like a love triangle that only Gleb knows he's participating yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> like everyone else is like, I don't, what, I don't know who this guy mm-hmm. is. Why? Where did you come from? Like nobody else is like part, like privy to this information. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like he tries to be this dashing hero type person, and it's like it's you as the audience understand it's wrong, it's off, something's bad about it, and they visualize it so beautifully at the opera 
where you've got um, basically the characters singing, their quartet pieces, and then at the opera in the middle of the stage is Swan Lake with Mm. Anya as the princess, with Dimitri as the prince, whose name I forget, and then um, um, Gleb as Rothbar. And like, it's Roth, was that his name? Rothbar? Rothbert? Something like that. Um, The bad guy, basically. Because, you know, Swan Lake is about a princess who, you know, is stolen away and becomes a swan um, by night and and doesn't know who she is when she becomes the swan and the prince has to save her and she was cursed by an evil sorcerer. Um, But as each character sings their part in the quartet, the ballet dancers come out to dance and are like, dance their parts. And then when Gleb and Dimitri sing their bit together. They harmonize at one point during the quartet. Both the prince and the sorcerer are dancing with the the princess ballerina. Um, and they like beautifully merge the theme of Once Upon a December to the sound the, the music of Swan Lake. Um and it's great. There's a lot of that's the thing is is like like you said, like the music in this isn't very strong apart from the songs that already existed. The beauty of this and its adaptation is in the subtle things it gets across that the film couldn't do because of the demographic it was aiming for. Right. <clears throat> but. Like, I'd love to see this animated. Yeah, no, that would be you really know, cool. That would be really, Disney, remake it and actually make it, like, you yeah. know, full on. They should do that thing where they like to remake all their old movies now into live yes! action. They should they should do that yes! with Anastasia now that they own it. <laughs> Hundred percent. We should email we, Disney like your we friend. need a we need to find that email and send an email to Disney, being like, "Yo, you know, you should do the live action version. Potentially hire us to do to be part of the process. Yes, you know, just yeah, I'll write it. I've got it written for you. I can actually just hand you my my script. <laughs> you know, like we could just work something out, Disney. Just call us, Mickey. Yeah, call us. I got you. I used to work for you. Does that mean anything to you? Probably not. Um, but yeah. So these are all. These are all the things. And like I said, um, it is historically 100 years this month since the unfortunate things happened. Last year, the 2017, it was the 20th anniversary of Anastasia, the 1997 film. Um, and yeah, just fun stuff. Also, how old are you if it's the 20th anniversary of that film? Um, but yeah, it's it's a cult classic. It's well, not a cult. It's a '90s classic. It's a cult film for '90s kids. Um, it's it's just it's great. I will always watch it. It's never on. So when I say I'll never always watch on. it, if it's on, I mean I've put it on and now I'm watching it. <sighs> but um, we used to like we watched that a lot when I was in college. Like that was like the film we would put on. Um, just like on a rainy day, we'd be like, "Well, I guess we're gonna watch Anastasia now." Um. Really, really great stuff. I well, I have a I'm, question for you. Me, um, yeah. Did learning about Russian history in college and going diving deeply into it did that ruin the movie a little bit for you, or were you able to move past it because of your I mean, love for it? Yeah, I mean, at that point, like I knew that you know the movie was inaccurate. I'd studied it a little bit before college when I was a kid, so I knew a fair bit of like what was incorrect about it. Um, I will say, you know, it did make it kind of a bummer just to be like, when I got to like sort of the end, like my senior year, um, I was taking, it was, um, 
what was it? It was like Russia 1816 to present, something like that, <clears throat> where, you know, the very beginning of the class, we talked about the end of the, um, uh, the empire and the beginning of communism and all that jazz. And I remember just being bummed learning about that. And I was like, oh, yeah, that sucks. And like, they glossed over the Romanovs. Like, I could tell he was waiting for somebody to bring it up. And he was just not even going to open the door to that. Like, he was just like, like, he, I remember. <laughs> what about Anastasia? He, Shut up! <laughs> yeah, no, he very definitively, like, he, it was like a one sentence thing. He was like, and then they were killed. And then he, like, moved, and then he jumps five years into the future when, like, I don't know, something was established, and I was like, oh, so you're not even gonna, like, you're just gonna, okay. Um, so that, and I remember being kind of bummed about that, because it was just like, I was like, okay, yes, historically, this is what happened, and Russia, like, turned into a cesspool for a very long time after that. Um, and it's it's interesting, so there's this, the thing with, with the history of this is that, like, sort of um, encapsulates Russia in all of its many centuries of glory is that it's always late to the party uh it is never it is always behind it was it took until peter the great for them to modernize themselves like they didn't free their serfs until 1860 serfs these things that you know you had in the middle ages like obviously the united states was behind on that as well since that was around the time they were freeing their slaves but so you know that happens you know, they they botch Marxism by trying to go to, for once they try and get ahead of something, and they just completely botch the idea of, because I, I had this paper that I wrote uh, for the end of my one class about how the Bolsheviks weren't real Marxists, because they, they totally messed it up. And um, I can't tell you the name of what I wanted to name the paper, because it is a bad word. Uh, and this is technically not a bad word podcast because we're talking about a children's movie, right. but it's a pun on Bolshevik. And if you want to know it, you can tweet. <laughs> Why don't you tweet it out? Like after I'll the tweet podcast, it out. just yeah. tweet it out. <laughs> I'll tweet it. I'll out. retweet it with no context, no and, context. Every, and only the people who will have listened to this podcast will understand. To hashtag it, and once you fit, once you reach the end of this podcast, you yourself, listener, hashtag and tweet out this tweet. Yes, if you listen to the very end, and then you check my Twitter, and you see my tweet about the name of this paper, I Just don't know. tweet it It'll out. It'll be great. Um, I don't know. I'll high five you internet something i don't know it'll just be fun so yeah i will tweet out the name what i wanted to name. i obviously didn't name the paper this but i really wanted to um but yeah basically it bummed me out i mean it wasn't a huge you know it had already bummed me out when i was a teenager when i was you know sort of self-teaching myself this stuff but having that professor just completely like just full stop on it and then move on was kind of a big a little bit of a bummer yeah. But it didn't, all it did was make me, when I watched the movie, like, make my friends hate me. Because I'd be like, well, actually, her title would have been, and they were like, shut up! <laughs> I even did that when we went to go see the Broadway show, because she says her full name a lot. She's like, she's like I am the Grand Duchess Anastasia Nikolaevna Romanov. And I was like, that's not correct. And I was like, she is the Grand Duchess Anastasia Nikolaevna Romanova. Ah. But, um, nobody cared. <laughs> Like, There's just like just sing once upon a December yeah, again. Just sing Journey to the Past again. Yeah. So yeah. If nothing, it just made me annoying to watch this movie with, because I will tell you all the things that are that are wrong. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. But yeah. So with that being said, 
<clears throat> if you'd like to find out all the info on this podcast, you can go to OverlyAnimated.com, where you can also join us on the Discord to text chat about animation at OverlyAnimated.com slash Discord. I've been on there once. Maybe I'll Join us. You should, you should go more often. You guys, it's so fun. I make a fool of myself all the time. Join us. Fascinating. I don't know. People talk about it a lot. Maybe I should, maybe I should invest in doing it. Um, invest by, by which I mean just log on. There is no investment. Um, <clears throat> support us via Patreon at patreon.com slash overly animated. Thanks to all our current patrons, especially our patron of the podcast, Juliana. Uh, is Julie Jana. Um, and thanks as always to our Patreon, Patreon executive producers, John, Ryan, Steve, Alex, Andy, and Hugh. Um, do you have anything you wish to plug of yourself? Yeah, um, you guys can check out the YouTube videos I've made for Overly Animated on Overly Animated's YouTube channel. I've done some reacts to the Steven Universe episodes, and I do not look... They're not flattering for me, but they're fun to watch. <laughs> um, and yeah, I also have a YouTube channel, which has been on hiatus, but it's, I'm, I'm getting back to it, I promise. I have some fun stuff in store that I'll be doing, like, in a couple weeks a few, actually, in like I think in a week. Anyway, um, so yeah, you can check me out at the B Real channel. So that's B dash R E E L, the B Real channel or the B Real movie channel. I changed it to channel instead of movie channel, but check it out. It's great. I enjoy doing it. Um, but yes, check out Beatrice's uh, Beatrice's uh, YouTube channel. Check out her her self proclaimed unflattering. <laughs> videos they're fun you can decide for yourself um plugging i have an article i tweeted out that i that i wrote for another website uh last week about anastasia if you'd like to read that for more context if you want to be a cool cat like Hugh and read my book and review it you can do that as well check out my book on goodreads i also have the link on my twitter if you want to check that out it's pinned at the top um or maybe it's not. I think I pinned the interview. You can find the book on my on my Twitter. Uh, check out, just search my name on Goodreads. Um, there's a couple Melanie Moyers, but I am the one in the Hufflepuff shirt. Um, but yeah, be like Hugh. And thank you, Hugh, for that awesome review. <clears throat> um, yeah, so I think that about does it for this fun, depressing, and then fun again <laughs> <laughs> podcast episode on uh Fox, 20th Century Foxes, Night Nights, and Anastasia, and uh, that's all, folks. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Hufflepuffs for life. <laughs> <laughs>